Tonight's lesson is entitled Overcoming Sin or the Passage Nobody Wanted to Teach. <laughs> when I read it to you, you'll understand when we get into it, but first let's pray and then I'd like to begin a passage right quick from chapter 1 to kind of set the stage for chapter 3. Lord, we ask for our hearts to be ministered to. Let your life come to us through the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, the setting and the context is part of the picture that comes to the Bible. It helps enhance the picture. The proverb that says, like apples of gold in pictures of silver, you can imagine that in your mind, so is a word fitly spoken. So I don't want to add to the word, but I do kind of want to set a frame for it. During the day of John, there was the anti-deity of Jesus movement, you know, the doubting, did he really resurrect, or, or was it just a, a myth or a metaphor or, or whatever, Gnosticism. And then there was the hyper-grace guys, you know, uh, when you sin, it's not really you sinning, it's just your body, but not really you. And so, with that being said, let's look at what he says here in the very first chapter of this little sermon. Verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In fact, let's go further up. Verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I was up early one morning, I believe it was, a Sunday morning, I think, there's a well-known TV preacher preaching this text saying the book of 1 John was written to unbelievers and this isn't for us because as believers we no longer have to repent. No longer have to say we're sorry for our sins. Sin is no longer a problem. I thought, well, you know, that's just outright rude if not unscriptural. And after going through this book and immersing myself in this book, this was written to believers. Yeah was not written, I believe. So that's just a bold-faced lie. He's confronting the issue of sin, people saying sin's not a problem, or, or Jesus isn't real, and, and then not walking in love toward one another. So the sins he focuses on correcting is the denial of Christ as well as the denial of one's brother, that is, not walking in brotherly love. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Dale Kennedy did a great job last week of teaching the first three verses. And if you'll indulge me here, I just kind of cruise through those by focusing on the very first word, behold. Can we say that? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. The word behold to me screams out because what we behold, what we look at, what we stare at, what we gaze upon what we focus on determines what we become. What we behold, we become. Or what we stare at or indulge ourselves in has an impact on what we become. And so focusing 
on the love of God. And so Dale Kennedy last week did a great job of going through this text. And while he's teaching, we are beholding God's love for us. And that kind of beholding is, is a transforming gaze. It, it changes us. So behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. So the world's not beholding the Lord. And because the world's not beholding the Lord, they're not beholding us. They don't know who we are. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope in a better day, hope in the Lord has an impact on our lives. It just does. If you're at Chicago O'Hare Airport, Steve, waiting on a flight to go home and see your sweetheart, Steve's a newlywed, you know, she's going to fix him dinner that night. He flies for FedEx, and he, but he's hungry, all right? He goes down to get a hamburger because his wife doesn't want to eat those things. So he's, he's going to have a hamburger, and he's waiting at the counter for his burger, and the intercom comes, last call, flight to DFW. He doesn't want to miss that plane flight, and he hears last call over the intercom. He has a decision to make. Do I wait here because, by golly, I'm going to get my burger? Or am I going to make sure and not miss this flight? The hope of being with his sweetheart will purify his desires, and he'll leave that burger there and maybe even his money to make sure and not miss the flight. So hope purifies us. Like a young guy is engaged to be married to sweetheart, and suddenly some old girl comes, girlfriend comes around and starts flirting with him. Well, the hope of marrying the girl of his dreams is going to purify his actions. He's going to say, hey, I don't want to miss out on this thing, Lord, this girl the Lord's blessing me with. Sorry, homegirl, you got to go. <laughs> so hope purifies us. And so as we focus on things above, I believe it just generates hope in our hearts. Amen. And hope can be bigger than our faith even. Some people say hope is like the blueprint for faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. So hope comes and then faith follows it. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. All right, now here's our text. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now the Greeks kind of equated sin with imperfections. But John, being biblical, connects sin with breaking God's law. The law, the Old Testament law, gives a definition for sin. It's not just because I walk with pigeon toes, you know, and my knees knock together. That's not sin. That's, that's a fault that's going to cause me problems if I'm wanting to run track or whatever. But the law determines what sin is. So, so it's not some imaginary ethereal thing. Sin is very clear. Lawlessness. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, speaking of Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. 
Now, John the Apostle, the brother of James, had been a follower of John the Baptist, I believe, right? So he heard John the Baptist say things like, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the sins that he takes away is those things in us or those actions that we do that we need to be forgiven for for violating God's law. He's the Lamb of God, so in him there is no sin. Now, verse 6 is, is the one that's like, what? That may make somebody look for another passage to teach. <laughs> Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, the word abide means to remain. It means to stay. I kind of relate it to behold. Beholding the love of God. Staying there, that has an impact upon our sin. Now, on the other side of our leaflet here, on the left side for those that are listening by phone and on the Internet, we have 1 John 3, 1 through 10 in a column. And then on the right column are excerpts from a commentary called InterVarsity Press Commentary, abbreviated IVP. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Notice it says neither seen him. I think that relates to beholding. If we sin, we're not beholding the Lord. I get my eyes off of Jesus. Remember King David got his eyes off the creator and on his creation and fell into sin with his neighbor's wife. Not seeing the Lord can cause sin in our life, and sin keeps us from experiencing the Lord or knowing the Lord. But look at what the IVP says. Most commentators suggest that the present continuous tense, present continuous tense, that would be like the word running, I am running. That's present tense and it's continuous. So the word for sin in this passage is present continuous. The present continuous tense of the word sin here suggests living in sin or sinning as a lifestyle. This is different from trying to live righteously, but sometimes stumbling when tempted and genuinely repenting. Given the traditional Jewish view that the devil had introduced sin into the world, all sins were ultimately the devil's works and reflected his character. So going back to this, whoever abides in him does not sin continually or sin continually in the present tense. You see that? Does not sin as a lifestyle. This brings hope to our hearts. Paul wrote, I can't remember which of his letters, he, he said, no liars, no fornicators, no thieves, no extortioners, no drunkards, no gangsters will inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. So, obviously if a person is a liar, to be a liar is not somebody that's tempted to lie, and they lie. It's somebody that it's become a way of life. See what I'm saying? So sinning as a lifestyle. So it's dangerous to say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Because to say I'm a sinner sounds humble, but to say I'm a sinner is to embrace sinning as a lifestyle. Amen. And not following the Lord. Amen. All right? Now, obviously, it's also would be wise of us to not say, I never sin. 
by the mercy of God. So abiding in him helps me walk in victory. And sometimes when I'm tempted, I'm tempted not just to sin, but it begins, if I, if I dig in my heart and really do my homework, where did this wickedness begin? And not just making excuses, well, she looked good, or he made me mad, or they did me wrong, that's why I sinned. No, why did I really sin? I, I wasn't abiding in the Lord. I got away from trusting in him. So that brings me back to 1 John 1, verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I see two things happening there, being forgiven and being cleansed from all unrighteousness. All. Not just the sin I'm asking for forgiveness for, but being cleansed for all unrighteousness. So I think in our repentance, we do good to say, Lord, show me. Why am I doing this over and over again? Show me what is the deal. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's an unhealed hurt. Sometimes it's anger at God. Sometimes it's a lack of trust and trying to live in our own strength that makes us vulnerable to failure. Is that making any sense? Sometimes that may be judging others. Judge not, lest you be judged. So if you see somebody judging, don't judge them. You know, and if they're not heeding your warning, just stand back. They're fixing to get their butt kicked. <laughs> they're going to wake up one morning and wonder what happened. Many times in my life when I've experienced failure, I go straight there now, Lord, where have I judged somebody? Because when I judge somebody, I'm not abiding in the judge. I'm trying to sit on the stool. That doesn't mean I don't have authority to make judgments in my life. You know, like you're raising kids, you've got to make some judgments, right? You've been given a stewardship at a job, you've got to make some judgments. Leader of a church, got to make some judgments. But it's not unlimited. It's totally delegated and focused with an assignment. And there's a certain area of judging only as God's place. So I have to be careful with my opinion, that I don't get outside of that realm because it opens me up to failure. I was riding the mega bus from Atlanta, Dallas, a two-lake thing, and the first lake went through Birmingham through Memphis. And so we're approaching the outskirts of Memphis, and a group of people sitting behind me are talking about gays in the church. And somehow one of them knew that I was a pastor and said, Hey, what do you think, pastor? I said, What are you talking about? Gays in the church. Gays on the Hammond organ, gays on the piano, gays leading the choir, gays in the choir, gays in the pulpit, gays here, gays there. What do you think about that? Gays getting married. And I noticed the guy sitting there by them was really quiet. And I thought, I wonder if they're picking on him. I wonder if he's got this issue in his life. So I said, well, let's really focus on the real problem. That is a form of fornication. It is. It comes under porneo. It's a form of fornication. Sex outside of marriage between a husband and a wife. Oh, we don't want to talk about fornication. I said, well, why not? You're yeah. concerned about these things in the church? No, we are all fornicators here. We want to talk about those games. <laughs> so looking down their noses on others. So the conversation died down. Obviously, I didn't add fuel to it. A little while later, we passed a strip club. <laughs> and one of them got excited, completely forgot what we were talking about. I said, oh, look, there's the hostel. 
judging others. Meanwhile, himself, what was it? The Bible says hypocrite. Who are you to judge others and you do the same? All right, back to our text. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. There it is. He who practices righteousness. That flows in with sinning in continuous present tense. Practicing righteousness. What is practicing righteousness? Well, obviously, we've been given righteousness. It's been imputed to us. So practicing righteousness is living out the righteousness that God gave to us. Practicing righteousness isn't just not sinning. I mean, if you're just living a life to not sin, that's so far below our purpose. Practicing righteousness is beholding the Lord and doing what he's leading you to do. Practicing righteousness is making a stand when it's even unpopular, when you have to for the Lord. That's a lifestyle, isn't it? Wouldn't you say practicing righteousness is a lifestyle thing? Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins, present tense, continuous action, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. That's past tense sin. He's he's been doing it since the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Christ came to put an end to sinning. He just did. What's the works of the devil? Sinning. Violating God's law. So Christ came to destroy not just the penalty for sin. He actually fulfilled that. He came to destroy the works of sin, the lifestyle of sin, the works of the devil. And he does that through us as we behold him. I was at a prayer meeting one time, and a guy in a microphone was just screaming at the top of his voice, Devil, we destroy you. We destroy you in the name of Jesus. It sounded really good. sounded powerful. I mean, get your adrenaline going. But we're not destroying nothing if we're not walking in the practicing of righteousness. So it's destroying my own rebellion. My own self-centeredness, putting it to death, that's doing damage to the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, or does not sin continuously in present tense. For his seed remains in him, Christ's seed remains in us, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, the Bible wasn't written in English written in another language. So there's difficulty in translating. I believe I'm born again, and I can sin. But this says I can't. But looking at it through continuous action in present time, I cannot sin continuously. When I mess up, I can't sleep. My appetite's gone. My peace is gone. And I got to find somewhere and get on my knees and get my heart right with God. It's not me, it's Him. I know He was punished for my sins. I know in Him our eternal destiny has been secured. But here on earth, He's intending to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. 
And that happens when we behold him, when we walk in obedience to him. And should we get off the path, onto that broad path of destruction, get off the narrow path, he calls us back. He just does. Now, can I kind of develop a lifestyle of sinning now and I'll get forgiveness later? That's a temptation that happens. Yeah, you can. And Lord, I forgive you, but I, I do not recommend that because the devil will trip you up. He's smarter than you think and smarter than we are. Yeah. And he'll create us a mess that you didn't intend. Sin takes us farther than we wanted to go, costs us more than we wanted to pay, keeps us longer than we planned to stay. It'll destroy some stuff. And then you got scars to deal with. And then you've given the enemy another club, the pain of regret to beat you up with. But if that's what you have to have, well, the Lord will teach you. Those who are his, he will chasten. God loves those whom he chastens. If he doesn't chasten us, we are illegitimate children. The old King James were bastards. So there's hope in overcoming sin. And I think the key is beholding him. Look at verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. There it is, that daily walk. We don't do that. If it's not in our lifestyle, we're not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. This is the big sin he attacks in this book, is the lack of brotherly love. And so, may the Lord help us to walk in love with one another, not speak ill to one another, confront one another when we need it, and get right back up and keep on going. Forgive each other, care for one another. Go back to India and go for it again. Yeah, just, uh, you know, get back on that bus and do the will of God. Anyway, any input or questions or comments or Paul? You know, when you talk about practicing righteousness, I I get a picture of, you know, all of us or a lot of us have a a specific hobby or sport or musical instrument. We're already good at something, but we're perfecting it by practicing it over and over again. And I see righteousness in that same light. God has bestowed righteousness through Christ. But to perfect it, we have to practice it. We have to find out how to uh, develop the tools that work, how to speak um, yeah, speak blessings versus curses, okay. how to uh, see spiritually. So that's just what I think about when I hear you talk about practicing righteousness. Um, Every time I hear the word, it brings me to exactly what you thought. Mm. I have a wonderful doctor. And he has a medical practice. <laughs> but doctor, he takes special <laughs> and his aim is, and his, and his heart is in to healing all the time. Not not healing, to healing. And I had a friend who was a perfectionist, and he was angry at his doctor because he misdiagnosed the, the, the flu for something else, and it took two trips to go over there. He was angry. And I said, well, you know, he's only human. 
He said, well, what do they call what a doctor does? He said, no, what is it? He said, it's, I said, it's a medical practice. He says, and the emphasis on the first word is always just practicing. No, I don't want a fool. No, I don't want a fool. Law practice? That's what you do. Programming practice? Go ahead. I just think of, I want to say it was in John, I can't remember exactly where, where John writes in the Gospel of John. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and the church of righteousness. Hmm. That, was that John? Well, it says it? of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's right. Sin, that's right. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I was thinking that there's, with that difference there, maybe he's echoing that here too. Well, I think that the, the indication is actually how vulnerable we are in that you know, I'm a professional musician. I'm, I've made my living most of my life. But if I don't practice, I won't be professional for long. <laughs> and and I could literally die as a result of it. I could literally starve as a result of it because I can't provide for myself. Well, if practicing righteousness is a literally, you know, you die to your flesh and you get up in the morning and you start that practice all over again because you could literally fall off if you don't. So practice is a private thing, not just a public thing when we're seen. It's a private thing. You know, my wife's working with youth band. And if their practice goes well, I mean, uh, their practice going well is proportionate to the amount of practice they're doing in private as individuals. The quality of their practice as a group is directly related to the quality of their practice as individuals in private. And this is why focusing on the Lord is so important. It all flows out of that. You know, yes. One of the great myths is, is you don't have to go to church. I can hmm. find God anywhere. The, the point, the reason why, like Hebrews 10 tells us, to not forsake the assembly is we need to be in fellowship with others. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> get all choked up on this. Uh, we need to be in fellowship with others to continually remind ourselves who we should be and to be around like-minded Christians because that's exhorting one another to practice. Mm, that's good. With daily life. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, how can we uh, tell unbelievers how the good Lord is? How good the Lord is if we're not telling each other? Yeah, you know, we we um, we think about righteousness, the, the righteousness of Christ in our life when we come to the Lord, and that automatically places the judgment of sin off of us. Okay. Okay. And I think that we all have a good we, we all have the, the good intent of practicing righteousness, but I think we need to also be aware that when Christ returns, He's not going to look at just what we're doing. He's going to look at the heart of that, which is our motive. Mm. That's why he says in First John, he says that you know, perfect love is the issue. And that perfect love is mature love. It's the love of, of walking in love in such a way that you put your brother above yourself. Mm. And so when he when he said in John, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We can be righteous. We can we can walk as a Christian walk. But what's the motive behind it? Is it love? 
Is, is it for the brother? Is it for the Lord? Mm, yeah, that's, that's where we get that's our book is love. That's where we get up because he comes towards the end of it and he says there, by this love is perfected. That in the, that you know and that we will uh, for judgment. And so when we walk in love, we are setting the in motion the the motive, which is to glorify God and to love the brother, and that fulfills the commandments. Okay. And what better way to practice love than being challenged to love? <laughs> the HTLs, the hard to love. Yeah. And what better way to demonstrate your practice as a musician than to practice a tough song? <laughs> Stevie Wonder number or something. Right, go ahead. Well, that saying, practice makes perfect. But in practicing, you get rid of bad habits. Because you're replacing that that practice of, of the righteousness of yeah. the love with yeah. the bad habit that you've yeah. had. So, I mean, when you say, you know, when you're born again, uh, a sin, it's like, you know, yeah, I kind of wish they wouldn't write it that way because yeah. that's really misleading. It's like, how can you say that? I'm full of sin. Being born again makes me acknowledge that sin, and a lot has automatically stopped, but there's still a habit of, of getting rid of it because of this, the love, and love thy brother, you know, as thyself. Well, if you've been, you know, a lot of the children in the, in the sex trafficking industry, it takes years for them to get over the mistreatment that they've been dealt in life to to learn that love that you know these you know yeah. our missionaries and everybody have to work at. It's, it's not an automatic thing. Yeah. It's almost it's a it's a practiced thing. The repetition of of a different lifestyle that erases those bad habits of the past. They're not all right. Something you're yeah, going to touch on is the idea of forsaking fellowship. Part of practice is also to, because to, you can practice bad habits. That's right. And that becomes your righteousness. Yeah. Mm. Very easily. You, you know, Self-righteousness. Yeah, well, well you, you, own you don't even know that you're reinforcing the bad habits yeah. unless you get into fellowship with others. And they can, right. you know, they, they can't end love. Say, brother, you know, look, I want to talk to you about this because then you are loving somebody mm-hmm. and esteeming them as better than your, than than yourself when you're telling somebody, hey, you know, you might think that this is right, but it's not, and that gets back to the fellowship. When you resign yourself to accountability, you hit that peak. Very few people, very few people hit this. Such friends. It doesn't matter what it is. We can discuss back and forth and accept what the other one says. Accolades that wow, man, you're still the guy I love. Boy, you're the best. John, come here. (laughs) It's it's a a two way thing, almost like a marriage, but it has to be between men. You know, some things that divide us is not sin. It's just things we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
and and well things things we don't like uh, can cause us not to love somebody, and then our not loving them actually is a sin, not the yeah, annoying things about them. That's right. And then not, sometimes it's a speck in their eye, blindness, and you got to get the log out of your seat and go and minister life. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, we were talking a second ago about you know, the uh, potential uh, risk of judging. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about that, what flashed through my mind was, you know, people get a license to go hunting, which means they, in, in that state, they have the license to do to go hunt some type of fruit. and But that doesn't mean they can go hunting everywhere that the road takes them because they don't have permission or a lease to go hunting on. <laughs> okay. And, 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 you know, so that goes back to that defined area of authority. Yeah. Like you saying, here you have authority to do that. Here you have permission and license to practice what you've been given. But go across the street and you don't have it. You know, this might be your business or this might be your family, but, you know, across the street it's not. And you're not, you don't have the authorization except to love the other people. Yeah. Not to judge anybody. Right. Or why. That's that's why. That too, that's why when somebody's blessed, we've got to rejoice with them. Amen. Even if we think, oh, they could do something different with their blessing than what they're doing, that's not our place. Bless them.